Good day. Welcome to the Corey Morgan Show. Oh, and it's a cold one. Hey, I kind of said that before, you know, I, out in the West here, we've been enjoying a pretty nice fall and winter. We've been getting spoiled, but you know it had to catch up with us, and it's catching up right now with a vengeance. It's chilly out there, and it's going to be for the next few days out here in the West and probably across the country eventually. It always seems to start out here and end up out there. So bundle up, take your dogs in, guys. I get tired of people saying, oh, my dog's an outdoor dog. There's a few kinds out there that are outdoor dogs. I admit there's a handful that love it in minus 30, but most of them don't. Be responsible. All right, use the comment scroll, guys. This is a live show. I see angry Canadian Mr. Stanley and Mr. Sharp checking in from Saskatoon. Good to see you all there. Chat with each other, send questions my way. Send them my guests' way, and uh, you know I won't read them all on the air, but I do see them all there, and it helps me along. They're good to see a paradoxy, and uh, keeps the show rolling. I like that feeling of being live, seeing somebody checking in from Kelowna there, uh, and knowing that I'm actually speaking not just to the air for a change or yelling at my steering wheel like I normally do. I got an author on today a little bit here. His name is George Denny. He wrote a book called Wokeland. It's sort of a futuristic novel about what California could look like in a few decades if things continue in the direction where they're going. I, I like these sorts of things, these futuristic things, because they they put real warnings into, I guess you could say, a, a fictional read, though. So it makes it digestible, but there's a real message to it. And, of course, he's from in the heart of the woke and the insane, which is in California itself. He's out in San Francisco. So it ought to be a, a pretty good conversation. And oh, I see Jamie Buckin joining the crowd there and asking about my favorite color. He's mistaken me for a liberal or something like that who wants those puffer questions. Jamie's just here to be a pain. I know him all too well. All right, let's get on to the other stuff I'm going to go on about today. I mean, one of the things that's got me going. So, I mean, there's a few things more Canadian, if we're going to talk about things being Canadian, and going out for an afternoon of ice skating with your sweetheart. I mean, that's just what a couple of seniors tried to do last weekend in Toronto. The weather was mild, holidays are wrapped up, it looked like it'd be a perfect day to get out and enjoy themselves together. Unfortunately, the local Hamas thugs had other plans in mind. Masked and screaming, they came pouring onto the skating rink, waving flags, intimidating other skaters. The older gentleman was upset, and he let the protesters know as much. He spoke up. So this, they chased him, and one of the thugs even laid a hand on him. The man's wife intervened, and they managed to skate away, but their day was ruined, as with dozens of other people who came out to skate. There were police in the area, but they meekly stood aside and just let the intimidation happen. This pattern is getting really common. The same day, same area, Toronto, Toronto Mayor Olivia Chow, and she's made a point of pandering to the pro-Hamas gangs for months now. It was to no avail. She tried to make a short speech at the event. She was drowned out by the howling of the pro-Hamas demonstrators, and they overwhelmed her. Security kept the thugs from actually touching Chow, but no arrests were made or efforts were made to remove them from the site. The thugs won the day, and they took over the park. And Mayor Chow, at the end of it, says, this is what democracy looks like. No, Ms. Chow, that's an uncontrolled mob rule, is what that is, and it's the opposite of democracy. But what do socialists know about democracy? That's something they always have difficulty with. It all follows a pattern of appeasement and lack of law enforcement when it comes to the pro-Hamas lobby in Canada. And it's coast to coast. In Vancouver, Jewish girls were assailed on a public transit by thugs howling anti-Semitic threats. No effort seems to have been made to lay hate crime charges, though. Had the victims been anybody else but Jews being targeted for their race or ethnicity or religion, I suspect it would look different. Jewish students have been intimidated and threatened on post-secondary campuses across the country. A University of BC family medicine professor of 30 years resigned from the university in disgust due to the anti-Semitism he's had. He says, screw you, I'm retiring. At York University, the staff 
And some faculty found themselves charged for vandalizing a Jewish-owned business. So what happened? Well, anti-Semitic students and faculty staged a protest and a walkout in support of the anti-Jewish vandals. And how does it feel being a Jewish student in that school or any Canadian university? They're not feeling protected by institutions themselves or, of course, the law. While they were trespassing to try and block commerce at a Jewish-owned business in a mall in Toronto, we saw that. One of the protesters took the time to threaten to kill somebody right in front of the police officers. The emasculated officers just stood there and did nothing. The ongoing incidents of pathetic policing are too long to list. I'm going to finish with the granddaddy of them, though, in Canada. When Hamas supporting anti-Jewish protesters, they've been regularly and illegally blocking an exit in Toronto from a freeway going into a Jewish community. Yes, pure targeting and terrorizing of the local Jewish community and population. Be considered a hate crime, as I said, with any other community. In response, the police officers acted as concierges and blocked the road for these guys and brought them nice hot cups of coffee to help them beat the chill while they spread their hatred and intimidation. I wish I was making this up. So how has this campaign of appeasement of Hamas thugs been going? Have the anti-Semitic incidents declined? Have the pro-Hamas protests become less aggressive? Or are they starting to obey local laws? Of course not. The protesters are only becoming more emboldened. They know they have nothing to lose in intimidating the members of the public and public officials as well because the cowardly police forces refuse to intervene. Things are only going to end one of two ways now, guys. If the police continues its campaign of inaction, in the face of these hateful, aggressive, illegal protests, citizens will eventually step up and take matters in their own hands. This is the natural progression when a state allows things to descend into chaos and lawlessness. But vigilantes are rarely gentle with the application of justice, and they can often target the wrong people. It is not a good way to deal with issues. The police could also actually step up and start making arrests. Hate crimes, death threats, they can carry some serious sentences. That is when those charges are laid. So get on with it. You know, you don't need to arrest them all. They just need to arrest some of them. Arrest the leaders. Give them serious charges. Rest assured, many of the protests will suddenly back down for fear of being incarcerated or getting fines or losing work or perhaps their student visas or residency in the country, depending on their citizenship status, might be at risk. I suspect those protests would suddenly fall dramatically. As it is now, though, these extremists have nothing to lose and they know it. This shouldn't be that complicated, but it won't get any easier for waiting. Multiple Jewish schools have been shot at. A Jewish deli was just firebombed. This is serious business. This is crystal knot, guys. And eventually somebody's going to be killed if this isn't brought under control soon. The pro-Hamas gangs, they're only a tiny minority of a minority, yet they have Canadian authorities hiding with their tails between their legs. Permissiveness has allowed a group to feel above the law, and they're getting bolder, and it's an embarrassment for the entire nation. This has to stop. It's up to police and politicians now, and who's going to do it, though? It'd be better if authorities found their balls and did it themselves. But if not... Citizens will. I just wish the government and police would do their jobs. That's what's got me going today. And lots of other things. We'll get on to that. So let's see what else is happening out there and check in. It's been a while since he's been here. Here's our news editor, Dave Naylor. Hey, Dave, how's it going? Uh, fresh from holidays, Corey, and uh, really enjoying this weather. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. But you know what? It's hard to complain. If we've if we've gone all the way through January and uh, haven't really had a cold snap, we can't really complain too much. Sure we can. Yeah, that's true. As long as it goes away quick. Hey, is Duke the Wonder Dog and one of them outdoor dogs? No, he hates it. At least he still does go outside and do his business, but he doesn't stay out any longer than he has to. Like, don't you have little doggy boots for him? No, we have a doggy door, so he can kind of run back and forth as his feet come cold and uh, he come back in to warm them up. He's, he's quite spoiled. Good. We'll give him my regards. Yeah, I will. Um, lots, of, uh, lots of good stuff on the, the website this morning, a busy day. 
Um, sort of leading off of the story out of Peterborough, Ontario, where uh, our friends, the police, seem to have maybe got it a bit wrong again. A, a store was robbed there by a, a thug who came in uh, wielding a bat, and he, uh, he clubbed the store clerk with the bat, and they wrestled, and the, uh, the clerk was able to get the bat off him and uh, send him on his merry way, and then uh, chased him out the store and, uh, and uh, sort of gave him what for. So now the police have charged the uh, uh, the clerk with uh, aggravated assault. Uh, we've got more on the uh, the Menzoid fallout. He's the rebel reporter that was uh, so rudely interrupted when he was trying to ask uh, Christian Freeland a uh, a question by uh, interrupted by the RCMP. The uh, NDP and the uh, the Bloc have uh, blocked a uh, parliamentary committee from uh, asking questions about that uh, that incident. Our opinion editor Nigel Hannaford has got a uh, a fun type column where uh, he takes a shot at our uh, the Globe and Mail. Uh, the Globe and Mail actually called themselves independent journalism. Imagine the audacity of that. Uh, uh, the gray old Globe and Mail says uh, says they're independent. Uh, we've got uh, a nice story on a little Calgary puppy called Wally. Uh, he was brought into the uh, the pound uh, uh, with a, a broken femur in his leg. Uh, it turns out the uh, city of Calgary has got their own veterinary clinic now uh, that's up operating and is uh, first in Canada to be a municipally owned vet outlet. And they picked uh, they picked Wally up, uh, fixed him up, and uh, he's now good to go. If you're looking for a friend uh, for uh, for Duke, he looks like he'd be a good uh, prettiest dog, doesn't he? Uh, he looks nice enough, and I'm certain somebody will snap him up, but we, we've got enough critters in our household to keep us for now, I think. Uh, I'm sure Wally will find a good place to land. Oh, I bet she's already adopted by a good Western Standard reader. But uh, those are the main highlights at the moment. Corey, lots of other stuff up there to uh, to keep the reader entertained. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's it at the moment. Right on. Well, thanks for the update, Dave. And I'll let you get back to catching up after your break there. Yeah, we'll see you later on the pipeline. You bet. All right, that is our news editor, Dave Naylor. I see lots of stuff breaking. Stuff from the good news stories with the dogs to the opinions, as we said, with Nigel Hannaford to all sorts of news copy on the issues as they break and as we write up on them. So I kind of like to remind all you guys, this is why, you know, unlike uh, the Globe and Mail, when we say we're independent, we actually mean it. And it's true. But the reason we are is because you guys have subscribed. We're subscriber-based very much. So if you haven't subscribed yet, guys, $9.99 a month, $100 a year, and it keeps us going, keeps those reporters out there, keeps those columnists writing, keeps me doing these shows. Take one out. It's really appreciated. If you already have, thank you very much. And hey, you know, nag, share it with friends, get other people to subscribe, get past that pesky paywall and support independent media. It's really important. Because, yeah, we'll talk about things others won't. Uh, here's something I, I want to talk about. This is let's get into uh, the world of insanity, the world of the woke. It would help, uh, you know, segue things for my guest when he does get here. Uh, this was from the National Post, but, but you know, so good on them. Uh, Adam Zevo wrote that BC's planning to give safer supply of fentanyl now to minors. Yeah, to kids. And parents don't have a say. There's no minimum age listed in the protocols for this tax-funded drugs that they're going to give out free to minors in BC. If your kids are addicts, considering becoming addicts or whatnot, BC is planning to give your kids drugs if they want them. Fentanyl, in fact, very strong, serious, dangerous drug. And you won't even be allowed to know as a parent. You know, you, you can't make this crap up. It, it's, it's, it's nuts. And... Uh, 
This is what's going on out in BC. How bad does the havoc have to get? This is, I, I call them the enablist, the enablement cult, because it is really to that point. It doesn't matter how badly they see the carnage on the streets, how contrary it is to just simple common sense. They are fixated on enabling addiction and somehow thinking that the, if we could just give these addicts enough drugs, they'll kick the habit. It doesn't work that way. And what's happening is it's spreading. We, we're seeing that. We saw stories. We've seen exposés. We saw that in Nanaimo. Uh, the, the dealers would hang out outside of the place where they're distributing the free drugs because the addicts get the drugs. They give them to their, uh, they sell those drugs because they're not strong enough for the hardcore addicts. They sell those. And that's where it gets to the kids. That's where it gets to the young ones, new addicts spreading the problem. And then they buy their street crap and tend to overdose and, and get messed up on that. That's the cycle. But the enablists just won't give up on that. They just won't. And every time, every time you go out in the streets, it gets worse. When you see, uh, uh, you know, the, the number of addicts, the housing encampments, the tent cities, worse and worse and worse. Yet these guys keep doubling down and they still manage to shock me. I'm a crabby show host. I write these columns on these things. I think very little of these lunatics. Yet still, I didn't expect to see a headline like I did today when they said they plan on giving. And I, I see they, in the headline, thankfully put it in quotation, safer supply of fentanyl to minors in BC. And the parents will not be allowed to have any say in it or even know it's happening. The world has gone mad. It really has. This isn't even talking about, you know, some of the idiocy of the gender pronoun thing and whether your kids want to identify as this or that and whether the schools should let parents know or not. These are kind of minor in the whole scheme of things. This is your children being given drugs like fentanyl and you aren't allowed to know about it as a parent. It's absurd. And I, I had to double check. It's not April 1st. This is really happening on Canada's West Coast. And yeah, I don't know. It's a West Coast thing. Canada is certainly far from uh, alone in this by a long shot. And that's why I'm looking forward to my guest who's going to come on shortly. He's author uh, George Denny. And he wrote Wokeland, which is, you know, getting into the American West Coast. I, I, I've had a guest on, you know, a, a legislator from Oregon and, and the insanity that's going on there. And uh, there's just something in the water on the West. I don't know what it is, but they're letting things go. <laughs> and it's going badly and quickly. So he's, he's written a novel, and uh, it's a fictional novel, but of course it's, it's depicting and looking ahead to what things are going to evolve to or potentially evolve to with the, if we keep letting the land of the woke evolve and do what it does. And it's, it's focused in California. And, you know, things that happen in California, it seems like, they come here a little later on. So it's good to talk to Mr. Denny first and see what we've got to look forward to. So let's bring him in and, and have our conversation here. Uh, Mr. George Denny. Hey, thank you very much for joining us today, Mr. Denny. Thank you for having me on, Corey. Yeah, so I, I just, uh, I like books, you know, like yours, the, the way you're making that effort. Like it's a serious message. It's a serious issue. But putting it into a work of fiction makes it more palatable for people, you know, consumable. I, I think of things like uh, Atlas Shrugged or 1984 or Animal Farm, where you, you'll have a plot to read. I mean, there's, there's weenies like me, I'll read The Road to Serfdom, but most people won't uh, put packing it into a, a fictional package, I, I, I guess makes it more consumable. Was that sort of your intent and, and what you put together in this novel? Yes, it was, and you actually brought in a, a couple of my influences, you know, 1984 being the gold standard of a authoritarian dystopia. Uh, Wokeland came from the idea that California is so off the rails, let's 
let's give the rest of it to the people who are currently running the government so that we can go full on identitarian and make your identity the driving force of really every conversation and every claim about truth. Well, that's it. And, and, uh, I, I guess with what you've put together, it's sort of, I guess, a situation where we're saying, okay, let's let them have it. Let's let them do it. They've become their own state. Let's be permissive and let all of those woke policies just run their course and, and become implemented in law. And I guess it's your vision of how the world would look in that circumstance, right? Absolutely. I mean, so one, one of the things that I think a lot of people are catching on to, to the DEI discussion these days is that it's really a backdoor to a sort of identitarian Marxism to make each group the same became the overarching goal of San Francisco and the West Coast and identity politics, and therefore broke in all of our American freedoms, um, rights of individualism and so forth that, that allowed our country to be this great. San Francisco also is a great place to set the novel because there's really no idea that's too extreme. As you said uh, earlier, San Francisco and, and Vancouver do have certain overlaps in terms of permissible drug policy. And I think the uh, outcomes speak for themselves. Not everyone realizes that San Francisco has a bigger budget than New York with the outcomes that uh, are quite world famous. Uh, and it's just such a shame to watch. I mean, California is, is a, a fantastic state. I mean, it's beautiful. It's, it's blessed with an abundance of resources from oil and gas to agriculture to human resources to, to Hollywood, even for that matter. Yet now we're seeing a, a changing of the tides. I mean, that the net domestic migration has been dropping in California. People are fleeing California for other states, despite all that potential. I mean, uh, illegal immigrants are kind of coming in at a large level, but uh, people are voting with their feet. Uh, you know, how that, that, that can only lead to, to bad things in the long run. Yeah, it's a, it's a fairly predictable process. I mean, California had, as you mentioned, all these economic opportunities from Silicon Valley to Hollywood to land in the Central Valley where you can grow anything, which is why our, our, our farmers uh, love California and actually stick around. But the, the outward economic migration is oftentimes taxpayers, taxpayers replaced by economic dependence in the cities who are oftentimes drug addicts and homeless, and um, as you can see from our major cities, sort of replacing the old, uh, the old system that, that built California. And this used to be somewhat of a, of a conservative state 30 and 40 years ago, and now we are bordering on socialist. Well, and it, it, it seems to really stem a lot, though, I mean, I, from the, the civic level, and we're doing that here, too. I mean, Calgary is a, in Alberta and Western Canada. We're known as the, the Texas of Canada, typically the more conservative part of Canada. But we elect these far, far left mayors and councils for whatever reason. And then we're always shocked when they become exactly what they are. I mean, in San Francisco, though, what's interesting, we're watching London breed infighting with white progressives now, though, because there's one of the interesting things that happens with the woke, they start eating their own. And, uh, you know, when you're so focused on identity, you can't even get along with your allies any longer. It's been kind of a, a bizarre thing to watch down there. So, and, and that is uh, somewhat entertaining for a lot of us, because there's really no such thing as being uh, woke enough. You know, the battle in San Francisco is not Democrats and Republicans, it's Republicans and Democratic Socialists which was my last uh, supervisor in District 5, uh, Dean Preston, who wants to challenge London Breed for mayor from the left. 
So even though London Breed is, is running a city that a lot of Democrats would approve of, in San Francisco, she's constantly being attacked from the left for not doing enough, not defunding the police more than the 3% that she did in 2020. And, uh, you know, not quite being progressive to the socialists' desires. So in, in the, the fictional depiction you have, uh, basically California has sort of broken away. There's been what, something of a, it's an independent uh, state now, though dominated by the woke. I mean, when, when we see that population shift, though, I mean, the people of ambition, the people of common sense, the people of means are fleeing. Uh, when you get that misbalance, it, it doesn't necessarily, uh, it, it's not that necessarily unbelievable that uh, you can start seeing secessionist movements be interesting. And, you know, certainly the premise of the book is uh, isolates California and proposes a an American solution to our current division by sort of putting all of the far left in the same place in California and allowing the rest of the country to sort of get back to the um, classic American values. But the uh, future of Wokeland is in many ways uh, reflective of the California of today with the outgoing migration and people who uh, love California for what can't be ruined, but the way that government has really taken over all of it, pushed out the middle class and made it so hard to live here, I think portends a future Wokeland in some way. Yeah, well, and, and dark comedy almost to be kind of some words that can be applied. You, you use some... Um... A little bit of humor in a sense, but it's more you got to laugh to keep yourself from crying sort of thing. And, and the, the actions of the woke or the, the trends of things certainly give you a lot of writing material. It, it sounds absurd, but are based on very real uh, efforts and things going on today, aren't they? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the uh, the first images that I had that made me write this book is the idea that all of these uh, identitarian politics sound like great virtue signals. But when push comes to shove, it's really hard to get anything done. And I uh, set act one at the end, there's a battle for uh, South Lake Tahoe on the border of California and Nevada. And in a, a situation of combat, I think the stakes couldn't be higher. And that's really a way to uh, weed out the virtue signals and what's really important to people. So in that sense, it might be a dark comedy for military vets. Yeah, well, and, and uh, Lake Tahoe, I mean, uh, you know, <sighs> I, I read some of the crazy things in California. Everybody's kind of seeing as we get larger populations, some things are happening. Uh, fresh potable water is, is a commodity that's getting expensive and difficult to come across. But I recall a recent uh, big desalinization project that was supposed to come along uh, to hopefully ease some of the water issues and things going on and, and to help with that and reduce the uh, the draining of things like Lake Mead and things like that. It got shut down, though, by the uh, the woke again because apparently they, they were worried about pulling water from the Pacific Ocean. Are, are you familiar with that one? It really kind of shocked me up here. Yeah, I mean, so the environmental agenda in California has worked against a number of things, but the water issue is really what pits the urban cities and oftentimes the, the true blue population of California against the red farmers in the center of the state. Um, you know, it, it, it sort of reminds me of how if you wanted to even redecorate your bathroom, you'd have to get an environmental impact report and about three years of paperwork to even uh, propose the city tax you for it. Well, and, and the, the disrespect, I guess, in general for you mentioned earlier, you know, individualism, uh, individual rights, or even getting into businesses. I, I seem to recall a while back, maybe you can give me an update. I, I didn't follow up on that. Karen Boss in Los Angeles, they were talking about 
forcing hotels to take homeless people in if they had vacant rooms in their hotels. I mean, that the, the concept of private property and what the hotel owners pick and choose who can stay in them was not even a consideration for these guys. Uh, did that ever actually come to being or did some common sense prevail on that one? No, common sense has not prevailed. And uh, the sanctuary city laws of America are actually uh, becoming more and more at the forefront as the hotels, which you mentioned, uh, in places like New York and I think Chicago have now been completely full. So they are closing schools. Uh, this is the, the uh, announcement from New York that some uh, schools will go to remote learning because they have uh, migrants sleeping in the gyms and so forth. Uh, in Los Angeles and Karen Bass, you have a a really steadfast homeless problem because the existing strategy of housing first pretty much promises to uh, be an attractive, you know, uh, the carrot that draws more and more homeless in as you deal with your existing population. Yeah, so your your book, I mean, offers as the other ones we mentioned before, sort of a warning. I mean, it's a it's a prediction. It's where this path could go. But do you feel optimism? I mean, it, that that this path can be avoided. That 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 this track towards such a you know the the fictional land of Wokeland and the insanity uh, can 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 you avoid that outcome? Yeah, well, I I hope so, and I think there are there are moments in time that come along that that split the American electorate. I think Israel and Palestine right now has divided the left in certain ways. I think there are data points like there was once the defund police movement. Now in Democratic circles, no one will even admit that that happened. So I think that that. Uh, that shows the capacity for learning and in a representative democracy, you hope you hope that we will uh, eventually vote in better ways, even though we're empowered to make really disastrous political decisions out here. Yeah, well, there, there have been some wake-up calls for the woke. I, I, I seem to recall a little while back, actually, I think it was a CNN news crew that was setting up in San Francisco to do something. They left for their car for 20 minutes and came back and found that it had been broken into and they'd been robbed. Uh, you know, welcome to San Francisco. And it's, I'm sure it, it seasons a little of, uh, you know, the, the biased view they might have been coming into and thinking they were going to report on when they show up in San Francisco and find out that uh, the high crime and, and the disorder is not an exaggeration and nobody's immune from it. It's not only not an exaggeration, but it's so out in the open. I, I remember once talking to a police commissioner and suggesting he do for car break-ins, you know, any sting operation. And uh, everyone else in the community call immediately started laughing that you wouldn't have to wait more than two minutes for a computer in the back of a car to be stolen. And uh, I think they just don't have the manpower. San Francisco is, in, like a lot of blue cities, in a recruiting crisis. Uh, the defund police movement, while it, it only uh, trimmed a few actual officers from San Francisco, it destroyed morale. And I don't think they've climbed out of that hole even yet. No, it's it's a hard time to be, to be a police officer. I, and uh, again, I mean, uh, just for examples, that come from up here north of the border and in Montreal, Canada, the local police there just recently put out a statement because people had been uh, putting out video of their doorbell cameras as the thieves come up and steal their packages off of their uh, patios. And the police warned people, stop posting those because you're infringing on the pi privacy of the thieves. I, I, I well, the privacy of the thieves. <laughs> I mean, that's so disrespectful to be to me mean to your local thief. Well, yeah, it's just insane, you know. And, and uh, as I said, you know, the material just almost kind of writes itself, and you've compiled it into a a book in a dystopian future. But that's what I just like to remind people, you know, it's not 
that fictional with these things. There really are uh, authorities and, and governments and people who just really are that disconnected from reality and uh, victimizing the victims. It, it, it's frustrating. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Well, I, I, I really, you know, uh, appreciate you writing this and coming on to talk to us today about it. And, uh, you know, the important part, where does somebody go to get a copy of your book? Uh, I see a couple of sites it's available on. Well, we're on uh, Amazon, we're on Barnes & Noble, uh, Wokeland.com uh, should have been just set up so you can get a link through there. But uh, it's Woke, L-Y-N-D, uh, Wokeland, misspelled just to sort of reflect the education system. Yeah, and I appreciate you pointing that out because some people uh, don't have the, the the visual. They'll be listening on the podcast. So if you're searching for it, you've got to spell it a little differently or, or look for George P. Denny and you'll get it. Uh, do you have uh, uh, future books in mind? Are you working on a, a sequel or another one in the future here? Well, it's not a sequel, but I have a, a far lighter uh, book on the intersection of romance and technology, um, also set in San Francisco. and. Uh, Funnier, easier to read, but not nearly so uh, political and deep. Okay, well, hey, we can't always read nothing but the political and deep stuff. Well, thank you very much for coming on to talk to us today. And uh, I really hope your book sells excellently or continues to. And I always appreciate just, you know, again, people packaging up serious messages into a nice palatable, palatable package like that so we can read it and make people think. Well, thank you so much. Best of luck to you and to Canada. Great, thanks. All right. So that was George P. Denny, author of Wokeland. And as he said, it's spelled Woke, L-Y-N-D. And if you Google those things, you will find his book and, and uh, get that, that picture, that image of that uh, potential dystopian future. As I said before, I watch things that are happening in California, and I'm sure that Calgary's mayor and some of the others watch what's going on down there for inspiration for themselves. Because the things you say, oh, my God, that we wouldn't be so crazy as to do that up here. And six months later... Here we are doing it. So with what Mr. Denny has been writing about, that is what we've got to look forward to if we don't figure out how to slam the brakes. And as he said, it's not all negative. You know, some people are learning, they're figuring some things out. You hit some walls and uh, reevaluate where you're going. So speaking of dystopian and weird and police and things like that, one of the areas that a lot of people have been talking about, of course, uh, Lately, has been with David Menzies out in, uh, he's, he's the rebel news reporter. This, uh, I, I think even Elon Musk jumped in on X about that one. The video went pretty viral. He was walking along trying to uh, kind of scrum Deputy Prime Minister uh, Christia Freeland. And uh, suddenly from the side, this uh, bald-headed uh, gentleman here, you can see in the picture, was uh, a plainclothes police officer who stepped in his way and bumped him. And then it was just, it was bizarre. He roughly slams Menzies against a, a billboard screen and says he's going to be arrested for uh, assaulting a police officer. It was completely ridiculous, completely out of bounds and uh, inexcusable. You know, I'm seeing some of the people, although there's this rebel news, who cares? They aren't Guys, you don't have to like rebel to respect their rights to do their business. And uh, you can see the video playing for the people watching it on, on the side. Yeah, you can see Freeland goes over and suddenly, that, look at him slamming Menzies up there. I mean, Menzies has been arrested before. People point that out. He does a lot of uh, gotcha journalism. He likes making a lot of noise. He, he's a lot of sensationalism. 
But in this case going on here, he was not being aggressive. He was not breaking any laws. He was not crossing any lines. At worst, he was annoying. At most, what security should have done in that circumstance is kind of get in the way and say, excuse me, sir, please move aside. She's going into an event or something like this. But that, that physical altercation, the slamming of, of him against that, and then suddenly you, you see later in the video, he's handcuffed by four police officers as if he's a, a, a monstrous, dangerous criminal. I mean, the, again, the politician is long gone by now. And he was charged. Uh, the charges were dropped four hours later. And then some people say, say, say no harm, no, no foul. No, 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 guys. It doesn't work that way. There was harm. There was a foul. There was a chilling effect. There was an assault against a person doing their job. You don't have to like how they do it. You don't have to think he's good at doing it. You don't have to think he's credible at doing it. But you bloody well have got to respect his right to do it. And it was violated. And I tell you what. If you know how, uh, you know, Rebel operates in a lot of ways, and hey, they go into some things, they break some stuff uh, that, that other outlets don't, whether you like them or you don't like them. But the other thing is, they love fundraising, and they love finding causes and things like that. Well, guess what? This one, I bet you, is doing great for them, because people are furious. They've got the site up, raising funds for Mr. Menzies. So do you really think that in giggling and supporting that sort of police abuse of a reporter, that you're actually harming Rebel? And yes, there is, he's already said it, there's going to be a lawsuit against the police force and others. And yeah, he's going to win. He's going to win. So I just see nothing but losses all over the place, except yeah, sure, Rebel will get a few bucks, but that's not the right way to get it. Of course, that's, uh, you know, people have to understand it's more important to protect the rights of ones you don't like. And the ones you like, it's easy to say, uh, you know, stand up for the ones you like, but you've got to stand up for the ones you don't as well. I don't, I don't dislike Menz. He's, he's uh, as I said, he's sensationalistic. He's, he's a, a bit bombastic. He gets in their face. There's different styles. There's different types of uh, reporters in that. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, they shouldn't be interfered with. And I mean, for people who say it's not a big deal, keep in mind, the government in power today might not be the same one as later. Do you, you know, to the lefties, not that there's a lot of them that watch my show, but they got to think about that. If, uh, the, assuming it's uh, Polyev who's in, and let's say he gets tired of the left-wing media, and there's plenty of it. I mean, he's done his method of dealing with them, you know, munching an apple while they try to shoot loaded questions at them or chewing them out. But he's not having thugs slam them against walls and pull them aside and put handcuffs on them. If the president gets set that these guys can get away with that, I'm not saying Polyev would do it, but he could, couldn't he? Guys, this is serious business. This is not a minor thing. And uh, better stand up and pay attention. All right. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about a code brown. I think everybody's kind of seen that one. Eh? Uh, the airline, Alaska Airlines, I just can't imagine. I don't like flying at the best of times. It just, it, 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 It's just not one of my favorite things, and I've done a lot of it. I, I'm sure if I was on that plane, though, when a piece, I guess there's a piece that covers where there was a, a potential door port and they bolted on mid-flight, this thing falls off, the air is whipping through this jet, uh, some kid's shirt got ripped right off and phones got ripped out and thrown out the door, nightmare fuel, guys, just pure nightmare fuel, thankfully no serious injuries, but as I said, Code Brown, I'm sure I would have ruined my underwear and a lot of people on that flight's underwear was ruined. Nuts, just nuts. 
scary stuff. And then I see, I open the news and I see it, Air Canada. Oh yes, you know, we've got to get it on the mix. Though this isn't a, a screw up on the airport uh, on Air Canada's part for a change, I'll give them that. But I guess they're investigating a passenger on board a flight from Toronto to Dubai, opened a cabin door, he opened the door himself or something, and fell out onto the tarmac on his face. He didn't fall far enough because he survived, the idiot. You know, I'm just talking as far as the Darwin Awards go. If people watch Dumb and Dumber, there's that scene actually where uh, he goes uh, running, you know, up the airline gate and up to an airplane. The plane's pulled away and the idiot goes running out the edge and slaps onto the tarmac. Well, I guess that's what this twit did with uh, Air Canada. But, you know, just for a light note on something for anyways, from something that could have been very serious. I, I imagine a door flying off a plane also could have led to a crash or a whole lot of terrible things. And it didn't. So let's be happy for that. But oh, how terrifying it must be. And uh, yes, here's the other adult opening a door on his own on a parked airplane and falling onto the, the tarmac. Boy, there's a, a lot of stupid people. Uh, commenter Angry Canadian saying, shouldn't those doors have locks? I'm going to throw a guess out here, but I'm saying no. In the case of the guy who let himself out and fell on the tarmac, you have to keep it so it can be opened by a passenger because they're emergency exits, right? Like perhaps there would be an incident where there's not a person in authority to open that. Maybe there's a fire coming through the cabin. Maybe it just crash landed, something like that. You have to make the doors able to be opened quickly and easily by somebody. Unfortunately, that doesn't stop the morons. And uh, that's the bigger risk you have. So I don't know what you do, you know, give an IQ test and the people who are under a certain level are chained to their seats to drool for the flight so they don't open doors on the tarmac or something. I don't know. But the world's a crazy place. Uh, some interesting numbers coming in. As again, we, this ongoing thing, you know, our immigration is, is just massive right now and our housing crisis is hitting, inflation's hitting. Uh, it looks like 355,000 foreign students have chosen to stay in Canada as permanent residency. This is part of when they do the number juggling, some people, liberal def defenders, never they say, no, the actual immigrants are only, you know, 400, 500,000 a year. Yeah, but they, they, they neglect talking about the people here on temporary visas people here who are students they are supposed to be temporary things like that well 355,000 almost 30 percent of them stayed permanently and you know it's not necessarily a bad thing okay these are hard-working students uh, many of them they're contributing they're going to go out get jobs they've taken their training whatever that may be in post-secondary they've paid a premium to go to those schools they spent a lot of money to go to them but it also does add to the challenges we have, okay? They still need houses, they still need food, they still need cars, they still need all of these things. So when we talk about those immigration numbers being beyond just what the government is purposely taking in year over year, let's bear in mind, we've got hundreds of thousands of students who are graduating and staying, which can be good for the economy, can be good for everything. We need more nurses, we need more doctors, we need more chemists, we need more carpenters, you name it. But let's be real with the numbers. They, uh, they're big and they're coming in hard. So let's see here. Um, yeah, here we go with uh, Gaza. Hey, speaking of which, so, uh, you know, you might've heard as well, the liberal government has jumped on and said, we're going to bring in a thousand, uh, cousins, in-laws, extended family. Yeah. We're getting pretty far on this. And they did extend that as well from Gaza. As well, it, it's not even people who are necessarily Canadian citizens who have the family, cousins, in-laws, and extended family they, they're going to allow to come in. This is even uh, people who consider themselves permanent residents here. Guys, we have enough immigrants. We have enough that we can pick and choose the better of the bunch. 
Gaza is a nest of terrorists. I'm just going to come out and say it. Come on. They, 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 there's no other countries. The Arab countries won't take them in. This is not what we need right now. I believe we should take in refugees in Canada. I think it's one of the great things we can do. There's people coming from war-torn countries in terrible situations, want to make a new life for themselves. And we have the space and they want to come here and work. And I think it's fantastic and we should bring in refugees. But we've got to be selective with where we're bringing them from and who they are. And I'm sorry, guys, if the Gazan citizens want to stop the war, they should turn in their Hamas buddies. Quit pretending that all these residents of Gaza didn't see the hundreds of kilometers of tunnels being built. Quit pretending they didn't see the water lines ripped out and converted into missiles. Quit pretending these citizens didn't see the training of the terrorists on hang gliders with their guns, the importing of the supplies. And let's quit pretending that the reality is out there and over 75% of Gazans support Hamas. Hamas is an illegal terrorist organization by Canada's definition. So if we got a population where three quarters of them say outright they support the illegal terrorists that we have banned in this country, why the hell would we bring them in? You want to see peace in Gaza? That's up to Gazans. Tell the Gazans to turn in whatever surviving hostages are still there. Gaza's only, again, it's under a million people. They know where those hostages are, those poor ones who've been abused and, and God knows what in this last few months. And they will not turn in their buddies. So guess what? Israel's going to keep bombing the crap out of you. That's the way it works, guys. You poke the hornet's nest, you get stung. I don't like seeing the bombing and the civilian deaths and the collateral damage. It's horrible. But bringing the, the citizens over here, hell no. We've already got enough of that battle taking place in our streets or even our skating rinks. Do you think the, the thousand Gazans that we would bring in would just settle on in and become comfortable, functional citizens? Or perhaps would they join the lunatics who are already uh, you know, causing trouble here? Guys, let's be a little selective. Uh, speaking of government ineptitude, always lots of room for that, isn't there? Uh, I, I saw a story that crossed. So Canada, or uh, about a year ago, uh, said they were going to give a $400 million surface-to-air missile system to Ukraine, among all the other money and things that is throwing at Ukraine and everything. Justin just loves giving our money to other people in other countries. You know, but uh, we can't afford to take care of our own veterans, but well, we can send things over there. But it turns out they've misplaced this surface-to-air missile system. They, they can't find it. And, and, and they're stonewalling. People are starting to ask questions. Ukraine's starting to ask questions. You know, hey, uh, you know, shouldn't this kind of arrive by now? Uh, they don't know where it is. You know, this is the government that wants to start a plastics registry, wants to register our firearms. They think they can track my old duck gun from the basement, yet they can't keep track of a $400 million surface-to-air missile system. What did you twits do with it? Where is it? Did it even exist? Angry Canadian saying it's on eBay. Yeah, maybe, you know, or Craigslist or Kijiji or something. Maybe if they wanted to ship it over to Ukraine, what they should have done, this is a good workaround, list it on Amazon, but only privately send the message to Ukraine. Get Ukraine to buy it for five bucks and Amazon will ship it because they seem to be able to get your package anywhere in short order. It's amazing what those guys do. Kings of logistics. You don't have to like Bezos. You don't have to like Amazon itself, but holy crap, they're good at it. But the Canadians know we've, oh, I don't know, it's in the other uh, warehouse or something. They've lost a $400 million surface-to-air missile system. 
Good work, guys. Good work. My God, what an embarrassing country this is sometimes. Speaking of which, Canada Post, here's another beauty, right? So Canada Post is bleeding again. You know, as I said, Amazon's making a fortune in shipping. Package deliveries are huge. They have been for companies and private companies all over, particularly since COVID, uh, except for Canada Post. They, they, they can't seem to make money out of it, even with the massive monopoly on these things they've got. So they're losing money. They're losing hundreds of millions a, a year. Uh, let's see, in 2023, they figure they, they've lost $361 million in the first half of the year. So they sold a subsidiary, but here's the brilliance of it too. This subsidiary they sold, uh, it was we sold to Metro Supply Chain Incorporated of Montreal, uh, actually made profits. <laughs> it, it, it made, you know, it had 300, the subsidiary of Canada Post at 327 million in revenues, 16 million in profits. Again, not a game changer when you consider that they're on track to lose over half a billion this year, but still, this is government bureaucrats in action, right? We got a crown corporation, we got something owned by the government. One branch of it is actually making money so they get rid of it. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I wish him the best. On the same lines, I, I, I see uh, in Alberta, Premier Smith has talked about selling the sturgeon refinery in Alberta. That's a big white elephant that's been going on up there. Uh, so, I mean, just to be fair with things too, because that was a conservative, quote unquote, initiative from Stelmac. Kenny supported it. And it's just hung over and been all the way up. Government got into the business of being in business. And of course, it stinks. They're not recovering all the money they put into it. They probably aren't going to unless somehow it manages to survive for another decade of operation or something like that. But uh, Smith's actually talking about selling it. Good sign moving in the right direction. I'm not sure who would want to buy it though. Uh, we will see. But again, things like that, if a private operator gets hold of it, they might be able to actually turn it into something that uh, makes money. The battles in Alberta we're going to see with Premier Smith, are, I'm looking forward to them because she really is a tough premier. She's willing to take on the tough uh, issues, healthcare reform, things like that. I see the nurses are all howling in Alberta too. Oh Lord, they're coming after them with the overtime. You see, look into the nursing overtime scam guys. It's pretty kind of interesting what they do. Most of the, you know, a whole pile of them come in as part timers and then they change shifts all over the place. What happens with their union contract is then they can charge overtime when they come in for a shift. They can work a 40 hour week, but the bulk of it turns out to actually be overtime hours. I mean, we saw that exposed a few years ago and some nurses, I think one was found to be have made almost what a few hundred thousand dollars. So don't scream foul when we start examining the overtime guys. Uh, some of them earn it, but some of them obviously don't. And Smith is, is, is ready to wade into those battles. So I'm wishing you the best. All right. I think I've kind of run the show out. Just to let you all know, I'm going to take off somewhere warm for a few weeks. I'll be available on social media a bit. I just can't stay away from it and things like that. But I won't be doing any shows for a few weeks. We're going to have a guest host come in and take care of that. There will still be things. Watch the Western Standard channels. Get on there. Take out your subscription. And, uh, you know, watch the, the show with the guest host. It'll be a good time covering some new things. Listen to a new voice for uh, a change for a few weeks anyways. And I will see you all in early February. So thanks for tuning in, guys, and uh, try to stay warm. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada, and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. To become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny.